Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2019-20 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. The Shockers are squarely on the bubble. On today's show, we'll recap the games against USF and Cincy and get you ready for two crucial games this week, home matchup with Temple and on the road at SMU. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor, we talked on last week's show about this game at Cincinnati this past Sunday. Uh, you know, they're really all important this way forward, but really the Shockers' last opportunity for that marquee, uh, you know, quad one win on the road, and they fall up short. It was, a, you know, kind of a, a tough week. They do get the victory over USF, but didn't necessarily look fantastic in that matchup either. What were your thoughts on those two games for the Shockers? Yeah, I mean, they took care of business on Thursday. It just seems like every team, every time USF and WSU gets together, it's just a rock fight. It's nothing pretty. So, you know, they took care of business, got, got the 10-point win. And then, you know, Sunday at Cincinnati, you know, that's all you can ask for if you're Wichita State. You know, they're tied and going into the last four minutes. You know, they, they get down by nine. And you kind of wonder, okay, is this going to get out of control? You know, is this young team going to roll over and let Cincinnati just pull away with this one? Give the Shockers a lot of credit. They battled all the way back. They, they brought it back to a tied game. I think they had like four or five possessions down the stretch where they could have taken the lead and just come up empty. You know, it's not a case of uh, bad offense, uh, struggling to get looks. They had a lot of really, really good looks. They had a wide open three in transition from Dexter Dennis. Uh, Eric Stevenson created pretty well off the dribble late in the shot clock, and he had a good look uh, that that would have broken a tie. And then JB, you know, point blank offensive rebound putback, you know, he's just as, as close to the rim as you can get, and somehow that does not fall. And, you know, any three of those shots, if any of those fall, you know, WSU has the lead. They're going to go back and set their defense and force Cincinnati to score on a set defense, which they had problems against all night. And, you know, who knows how that game ends up. But, you know, WSU gave itself a chance but could not come up on top. And, yeah, just a big-time missed opportunity when you play that good a defense and, you know, you, you fight back in that game to not come up with that one and, and like you said, the stakes of missing out on that marquee win, missing out on a Q1 road win, you know, that, that hurts if you're WSU. It doesn't kill them, but it definitely hurts. This was the sixth straight win for the Bearcats, and four of those have happened on the last shot. So it's just, you know, ridiculous. You think at some point it's going to start going in the Shockers' favor, or these late game situ situations will, you know, figure the things out a little bit. But let's go back to the USF game for just a second. They did get their 20th win of the season, that 10 point victory over the Bulls. There, it's 11th straight season Wichita State has had 20 wins. But here's another interesting stat this was their sixth win, shooting 40% or worse from the field, which is second most in the nation. So is that really even a good stat? Because really doesn't that just say that the offense has been just putrid? Yeah. And yet, yes, they've been taking care of business on defense. Yes, they're getting the rebounds. But the shots just don't seem to go in. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the ugly offense, you know, being able, I guess, you know, in a way it is a little admirable to, to say that, yes, we are shooting this poorly and we're still winning games. That gives you an idea of how good WSU's defense has been this year. You know, by all metrics, it's top 10 in the country. You know, they are doing a very, very good job 
uh, on that end of the floor and uh, uh, and especially the Cincinnati game, you know, like I said, when they are able to set their defense and they have Jaime Echenique back there next to the rim, they are very, very tough to score on. And uh, we saw that against USF. I thought that was maybe, you know, Echenique's, uh, I mean, certainly one of his best games as a shocker, uh, one of his most impactful uh, without making a lot of baskets. You know, he makes uh, uh, 14 or he takes 14 free throws, makes 12 of them, both career highs. Uh, he was doing a lot of really good work early in the possession to, you know, to body up USF. And, you know, he was sprinting and beating the, the big man down the floor to get early position. And, and, you know, when you win that position early, that makes it easier for the lob over the top. And when he caught that, you know, he basically left USF no chance other than to foul. So that was a, a great game from Jaime. Uh, another great defensive game, too. Had uh, four blocks, two steals. So whenever you can end six possessions like that on your own, that's uh, really impressive stuff. So uh, I thought he was the standout. He's been the standout all-conference season. Um, and that was just, a, you know, another all AEC type of performance to, to get that win for WSU. Echenique's 20 points against USF tie his career high. He had nine rebounds, so just one rebound short of a double-double. Now against Cincinnati, he scored 10 points and had 12 rebounds and got his fifth double-double of the season. When we look at this game against the Bearcats, there's a lot of stats that stand out. The Shockers missed nine of their first 10 shots. And now they were holding Cincinnati, you know, down as well early in the game, but I felt that was such a missed opportunity to really go out and take a lead, take the you know uh, the uh, the crowd out of the game and, and get up on Cincy. They just let them stay there, and then the teams kind of battled back and forth there. Uh, Cincinnati really beat the Shockers on every category on the stat sheet. So points in the paint, points in transition, points from the bench, uh, points off of turnovers, and so you know that it, it's hard to win a basketball game when things look like that. Yeah, and uh, you know that that's just more credit to WSU to to find themselves in a tied game when you know it was not a good shooting game once again and you know if you think that you know if you could just alter just a little uh if they could just make open shots and I went back and looked at it again you know 17 wide open threes they shoot 5 of 17 on those wide open threes just unacceptable you know you're not going to win games against high caliber teams especially ones like Cincinnati who are very very good defensively you got to convert those op- open opportunities and this was another case, you know, we saw WSU when they were hitting wide open shots last week in those two wins at U, U, uh, at UCF and then uh, Tulane at home. And now we saw, you know, what happens when they struggle to hit open shots. You know, the offense is just, it's just, you know, you do yourself no favors when you're, you're not hitting. And, you know, they had like three or four missed bunnies too in the paint. So, I mean, those are just missed opportunities. And, you know, everything just looks so much different if you convert just a higher tick than what they are and you know that's really what the difference they're just leaving too much on the table on you know open shots but you know the good thing is that they are getting open shots it wasn't like Cincinnati was locking them down forcing them to you know just end a shot clock shots just to beat the buzzer you know WSU was getting good looks they were able to run their sets you know get good looks from the outside they were able to get good looks inside but you know you just have to convert more of those opportunities if you're going to win games and right now, that's the difference when, you know, really the last three close games, WSU has lost down the stretch, you know, at Tulsa and then the two uh, Cincinnati games. And, you know, that's it's a very fine line. But, you know, WSU is just on the, the on the wrong side of that very fine line three straight times now. Cincinnati was plus six in scoring from the free throw line, and that was helped by Cumberland going 16 of 22 from the free throw line, an AAC record. You wrote after the game that it was a lot of those missed open shots by the Shockers that sometimes led to fast breaks the other way for Cumberland. And I'll also say he was given a little help by, even if you were breathing on him the right way, he was going to the free throw line. But really, that that's a, a big difference in the game right there. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, if you uh, if you miss that uh, uh, that story, it's on Kansas.com. But yeah, you look at it wasn't just missed shots; it was missed open shots from WSU. You know, those are it's just a double whammy. Like, not only are you missing uh, converting those wide open looks, but when the 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 miss comes and you know it's a long rebound or whatever it is, you know that creates a run out. It creates a scattered floor. And that's when Jaron Cumberland is at his best, when Echenique is not standing right next to the rim because he was able to push and transition 
beat Echenique down. Now all of a sudden WSU doesn't have its shot blocker at the rim. Cumberland is basically a free path right to the rim. And, you know, when he's he's so good at attacking defenders, backpedaling, and, you know, he's so good at using his body. And, you know, sometimes it looks like he's out of control. But, you know, if you watch him closely, I think he's he's always in control. And he's just so good at, you know, those little sidesteps and just using his body. And he just, you know, he seeks out contact. He's like a 6'5", 210-pound running back. Who, Best thing back. we did is make him bleed his own blood during the end of that game. <laughs> Yeah, he's just standing. He he goes straight into people, and he forces the refs to make a decision every single time. And, you know, whatever it is, it seems like he gets the benefit of the doubt a lot of times because, you know, he he's the one, he's the aggressor, he's the one that's going straight into the defenders. And there were a couple, you know, I thought Dexter Den- Dennis had a couple where, you know, maybe it's a play on. It looked like good defense, but uh, didn't get the benefit of the doubt there. The one on Jaime Echenique the last three minutes, I thought that was, uh, you know, you couldn't ask for better defense from Echenique. Slides his feet, uh, beats him to the spot. You know, Cumberland goes straight into his chest. Usually that's a that's a charge, but, you know, on the road uh, against the reigning AAC player of the year, you know, sometimes you don't get that call. So, um I talked to Tyson um, Etienne after the game. He said we had to do that more often and just step in front of him and try to take those charges. But, you know, that's easier said than done. Like I said, 6'5", 210, going full speed. You know, that's not a very inviting thing to step in front of, and especially when he seems to get a lot of the calls. So uh, that's a really tough thing, but that's something that WSU had to do a little bit better job of. Like I said, they, they did a very, very good job on him in the half court. I think he was two for nine in the half court, um, six turnovers. So uh, they did, you know, they were lights out when it was a half court setting. But once he got in transition and was able to attack that backpedaling defense, that's where he did all of his damage. And, you know, a lot, I think 10 of the free throws were all in transition, off transition uh, kind of plays attacking. So uh, that was uh, really tough. But yeah, whenever an individual player shoots 22 free throws, more than your entire team, uh, that's uh, it's a little frustrating. And Some strange uh, things. Greg Marshall was certainly frustrated after that one. Cumberland has officially surpassed Doug McDermott on my first team all-hatred <laughs> team as far as Shocker opponents. <laughs> want to talk about Eric Stevenson. He led all Shocker scores with 13 points, but he goes 4 of 14 from the field, takes three more shots than anyone else on the team, and late in the game it felt like it was a little bit of hero ball. Like He wanted to make that three to go ahead but so bad that it was maybe four forcing up some shots or maybe not working within the offense. And so a couple questions. What did you think about his game? But also, and I don't want to call it inconsistent, but have you seen a player so hot and cold from one game to the next as Eric Stevenson? Yeah, it's just been up and down, up and down. And, you know, when when he's up, you know, he's, you know, the best player on the floor. And uh, when he's down, you know, yeah, it's, it's tough when you're not making shots. And um, I asked uh, uh, Coach Marshall about that a little bit uh, today and, you know, he didn't give me a, a great answer. Uh, wasn't really what I was looking for, but you know, he was. What I was asking was, you know, if WSU. He basically has said that right now he doesn't, uh, you know, feel good about any one player on the WSU going ISO one on one. You know, just go get your shot. So that's what I was kind of asking him. Is like, if you don't feel that way, then why does you know? Uh, late in the game, you know, Eric Stevenson get that ISO against Cumberland and you guys just let him go to work if you don't feel great about, you know, going ISO ball. Um, so, but if you look at, you know, down the stretch, you know, they were, like I said, they got good looks. They, it wasn't like that was every single possession down the stretch. We're just going ISO. We're getting shots at the end of the shot clock. They were able to get good looks. They pushed the ball. JB attacked in transition a couple times. I thought he got fouled in the last four minutes too. That didn't get called. Um, so it was just, you know, it, it's one possession or really two possessions. And they were both Eric Stevenson, as you mentioned, um, the ISO three, you know, he got uh, Cumberland backpedaling. It was a decent look, but, you know, that's a shot you can get any time you want, really. So, you know, to take that with 14 seconds left on the shot clock, a little questionable when you're down two as well. You know, I know Echenique wasn't having the greatest game, but still it just seems like good things happen when he touches the ball, whether if he finishes or is able to find a cutter to the rim or even a kick out for a three. But um, that was a little questionable. And then he took one earlier, too, uh, coming off a screen. 
And I think uh, kind of like what you said, I think that was kind of the thought going through his head. You know, he, he catches it off the, the screen. He's thinking, I'm, I'm hitting the dagger. I'm hitting the go-ahead three. Got a little trigger happy. Again, like 15, 16 seconds left on the shot clock. A little off balance, contested, not a great look. Um, so not a, you know, not the best time to pull the trigger, but you know, it's all, it's easy to sit back and, you know, criticize and kind of, you know, um, do it in hindsight. But like I said, I thought WSU got the looks that it needed down the stretch. It just has to convert, you know, all those things look so much differently if they're able to, you know, just make that, that bunny or make that, that wide open three in transition. So, um, it's just a fine line, but yeah, I think it is kind of. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, yeah, we'd all have a merry <laughs> Christmas. The Shockers are four and four in true road games, and I just can't get over the fact that they have lost six straight to Cincinnati. You can't call it a rivalry when it's that one-sided. So I'm sorry, Shocker fans, you just can't do it. Now, I want to talk to you about something Coach Marshall brought up in his radio show. I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but. You know, we're going to get in the second segment, we're going to get really into where we're at with these last four games, possible seeding scenarios, and the focus has to start kind of moving towards the AAC tournament. The American, unlike, you know, the experience in the Valley, seems like it's not necessarily what seed you end up with, but it's what matchup you end up with for Wichita State. They seem to just match up really well with certain teams and not match up so well with a lot of other teams. So kind of run us through that and maybe some of those teams you think the Shockers would want to see versus some of those teams you think the Shockers do not want to see. Cough, cough, Houston. Yeah, exactly. That's the one team you don't want to see before the championship game. Uh, just for whatever reason, it just seems like they have WSU's number and you know, that's it's kind of a, a troubling trend. And somebody on Twitter uh, pointed that out after the game that, uh, you know, since WSU has joined the American, you know, you look at, you know, the top two dogs, Houston and, and Cincinnati, you know, only one win uh, against both for WSU. And, you know, I think uh, 10 losses now combined. So um, that's just not a good mark for if, if you're WSU and, you know, coming into the conference, they certainly view themselves on that same level as both of those programs. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you have to start winning games. And uh, I know, you know, context matters. You know, obviously last year WSU was in rebuild mode and this year they're still very young. But, you know, Houston, you know, they lost a ton off of last year's team. And it's not like they were, you know, ready made to, or I mean, they had some excuses to make this year too. But, you know, you look at them, they're back in the top 25. And, you know, Kelvin Sampson has done such a good job at just reloading that program. So, uh, you know, as, at the end of the day, you know, WSU has to start getting the job done against those top tier opponents in conference to, you know, if they're going to become, you know, the, the top dog in this league. And, you know, it kind of just shows how far away they are from that. But, you know, if I'm WSU, I would not mind seeing Tulsa. Um, I would not mind seeing, you know, SMU. Really, I mean, any of those teams outside of Houston and Cincinnati, like I don't think WSU is, is worried about any – um, you know they're they're obviously going to treat every uh, every opponent with respect, but I don't think any of those uh, teams are you know necessarily terrible matchups for WSU. You know obviously Memphis has a lot of talent. Uh, you know Temple. It seems like we'll see Thursday, but it seems like Temple always plays WSU tough. Um, you know UConn. They've had a couple good games with. So I think whoever you're going to play in that first round, you know it's going to be a very very tough matchup. And then uh, assuming if they get the top four seed and then if they fall to five or six, you know, you're looking at a two lane South Florida, East Carolina. I don't I don't see much difference. You know, WSU has to take care of business against one of those three. So that second round that whatever that that matchup's going to be, I don't think it matters too much. But if they can get on that, you know, wherever Tulsa ends up, if you can play them in the semifinals, that would be, or even the quarterfinals, you know, that's that's the matchup I think WSU would would want out of the top three seeds. Now let's bring some good news to our listeners. Been a little negative here at the beginning. Ken Palm, 39, net ranking 44, and if we go to bracket matrix, they're currently in 100 out of 103 brackets that bracket make matrix tracks, but they are now the last 10 seed. So just on that last little sliver before you start looking at going into Dayton for a play-in game. If I'm Cincinnati, I'm saying, we beat these guys twice. Why the heck are we are, you know, a lock for the tournament right now? And I know that's, of course, because what they took care of business in, in the non-conference schedule. But Two you know, words, bowling green. <laughs> So now, I mean, Cold we already day. know every single game the rest of the season is going to be important. And really, unless they win the AAC tournament, more than likely there'll be some nervous Shocker fans on Selection Sunday in Wichita. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's looking, uh, it's going to come down to the conference tournament. And I've talked to a couple of bracketologists who have told me that, um, you know, some of that stuff, you know, the, turn, the, the committee is deciding a lot of things so early now that, you know, a lot of those decisions get made before, you know, Sunday, Saturday. So, you know, WSU needs to do itself a, a couple favors here down the stretch. And, um, you know, from the gist that I get is that you got, they have to take care of business at home. So you beat Temple, you beat Tulsa, and then they, they probably, uh, to feel good about their chances, they need to get one at, on the road at SMU or at Memphis. Um, you know, I've seen some... They need both. Enough of this mamby-pamby <laughs> stuff. SMU and Memphis are right tied with them for the fourth seed. If you don't want to play on Thursday, you can just go out there and take care of business. Get both. Why can't we have high expectations for these guys? You know, uh, Stevenson and the rest of the sophomores have played 40, 45 games. That's unique the same. Well, they're not these young guys anymore. These are pretty experienced players. And, you know, we need to have expectations that they take care of business. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's fine. I'm just telling you what I think they need to do to get into the NCAA tournament. I've seen a lot of people who are are pretty down on WSU. They feel like they're out of the field right now. They feel like you know they're NIT bound, and you know that's just not the case. You know even with the losses, and I know it's been you know rough. Uh, what are they? They're five and you know five and six in their last eleven. So you know they're not exactly playing you know lights out basketball right now, but. You know, you have to consider the body of work. You know, the 15-1 and one start matters. And, you know, I know some of those wins, uh, you know, they don't have a marquee win. But I think the thing that's keeping them afloat right now is they have no bad losses. And as long as they keep it that way, you know, don't lose at home, basically. Don't lose to Temple. Don't lose to Tulsa. You know, it's going to stay that way. And I think that's the thing that's going to get them in the tournament because, you know, you look at all these other uh, bubble teams, you know, teams like Cincinnati and uh, Indiana and like all these other guys, you know, they all have bad losses. Everyone has at least one black eye, if not multiple. And, you know, when WSU, you look at their record, you know, hey, uh, you know, no Q3, no Q4 losses, winning record against Q1, Q2. I mean, that sounds really good on paper. And then you start looking at it and it's like, okay, I mean, these guys are, are not playing their best basketball right now. You know, they haven't, they don't have that marquee win. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the committee looks at Wichita State and ultimately seeds them if they do get into the tournament. Um, because it, it kind of strikes me as like, this is the, you know, this is the team that would strike me as a, as a first four team. It's like, uh, you, you go go to Dayton and prove that you belong in the NCAA tournament because like right now, you know you beat OU at home and that's about it. That that's all that you have. So go prove yourself. Uh, unless WSU, you know they sweep these on the road. They go they end the season four and zero. Then I think they're they're pretty much in locked uh, even before the conference tournament. But uh, we'll see. I mean I think you're right. I think we a lot of WSU fans are gonna be sweating it out on Selection Sunday. So we know on the high end, they would be an 11 seed if you do that play-in game. What's the best seed you think they can get? So let's say they run the table, they win the conference tournament. Can they get to a 9? Can they get even higher than that? Or are we pretty much locked into this 10-11 range? Yeah, I think it, it, it would depend on the matchups. I think if you, I mean, theoretically, if you, you know, run the uh, run the table, uh, if they beat Cincinnati and Houston um, in the conference tournament, then yeah, maybe you you are looking at a nine. Um, more realistically, uh, they go. Let's say they go three and one down the stretch. They get that big win at SMU, um, and then they make the the conference semifinals and lose to uh, Cincinnati again. Somebody like that, Cincinnati or Houston. Um, you're probably looking at a, at a at 11, I think 10 or 11. I don't think they really have a chance to move up much more past that just because, you know, they don't have, uh, you know, those quality wins. And I'm not sure beating Cincinnati on a neutral four is going to be, you know, a marquee victory that, that the tournament's going to, you know, the selection committee is going to take note of. So I think that opportunity is kind of uh, long gone for WSU. They miss their chances. But, you know, if you keep racking up those solid wins, you know, you can just firm up your position inside the field. And I think at this point, um, you know, if you're if you're WSU or as a fan, would you rather be a 10, 11 seed or would you rather be an 8 or 9 but then have to play the 1 seed the next round? I'd rather be a 9 so I could continue making comparisons to 2013 when they made the Final Four. But, you know, anyone in that 7 to 10 range, I think they're going to match up well with. But I, th I think if they go to the first four, they're not going to be in the tournament long. They might win that first game. And if you remember, I believe this is Fred's senior year, they won in the first four. Mm -hmm. They won that, that next game. 
uh, but then they lost to Miami in the round of 32. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get you ready for two important games starting with Thursday's home matchup with the Temple Owls. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We'll move now into our game preview, starting with Thursday's matchup with Temple. As a reminder, this game has been moved to 7 p.m. We'll be broadcast on ESPN. Temple is 14-13 and 13 on the year and 6-8 and eight in the AAC. You'll remember Wichita State lost to Temple 65-53 to 53 on January 15th. They are Ken Palm ranked number 109, and they're 2-2 two and two in their last four games, including a loss to Villanova. Taylor, when you take a look at the Owls, you know, it just seems like they're always destined for the middle of the AAC. They beat some teams you don't expect them to beat. They lose some teams that you don't expect them to lose to. What do you think they're going to be when they make it to Wichita? Yeah, it just seems like, you know, if you go back and look at every Wichita State Temple game since uh, the Shockers moved to the AAC, it seems like every single game has been very, very competitive. You know, uh, throw out the records, throw out the rankings, you know, whatever reason, you know, Temple seems to get up for, for WSU and they play them well. And, you know, that's, that's you know, obviously their best win of the season. Uh, you know, they, I don't think they, I, I guess they beat SMU at home, but um, the Wichita State one that kind of stands out because you know right after that you know they had lost three straight going into that game and then they beat WSU and then they lose four straight after that so you know it just was not a good loss for WSU um, it started it kind of s- s- kicked off that that you know tumultuous stretch where you know they they really played some really really poor basketball and you know the offense just hit rock bottom and you know the second half that was that was the start of it all and you know they didn't play great the first half but they were still up I think four or six points and and then things just went really really poorly the second half and uh yeah that was kind of the the start of that that poor stretch so you know WSU's gotta uh you know if they just play if they play like they did at Cincinnati I think this is an easy win for WSU I thought WSU played uh you know all things considered really really well it was just a case of you know Cumberland just you know lived at the free throw line and they just barely did just enough to to get that win but I thought WSU's defense was lights out and then I thought on offense you know they showed some real heart down the stretch and like I said they were able to get open looks it's just a matter of you know finishing them and that's that's going to be the case once again against Temple you know this is a team that likes to gamble on defense they're they're super athletic they have good individual players but you know they don't play uh you know they don't take efficient shots they're not good shooters uh so if you can just you know grind them down force them into those those tough looks you know this is a team that's probably not going to score a lot of points against that defense so you know at home you want to see them put up at least 70 points if uh, if you know things are going well that's that's kind of the target for WSU's offense I think you know it's a sign if if things are going well they're going to crack 70 and hopefully be uh, you know close to that 80 point mark. You mentioned the second half at Temple as a little bit of a turning point. I actually go back to overtime against UConn. That's when the Monstars came in and and seemed like they sucked the energy right out of this WSU team, and we've been on this crazy run ever since. You'll recognize the leading scorer. He's also been around a long time in addition to Cumberland. Quinton Rose averaging 16.3 points per game. As a team, they average 69.5 and allow 68.3, so played a lot of close games. They do shoot at 40.9% from the field. Your biggest key to a shocker victory? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's uh, it's a broken record, but, you know, just make open shots and, and continue to, you know, get open shots. You know, I think uh, Jaime Echenique, he's going to get uh, a good a good chance to, to have a good game. You know, Temple doesn't really have an answer for him down low, so I think you can expect uh, another, you know, possibly 20 and 10 game from him. Uh, but, you know, if he has a good game, Temple is obviously going to adjust and they're going to, you know, crash down and he's going to have a lot of kickout opportunities. So at the end of the day, you know, WSU is going to have to make open shots. Um, I think if they can hit 10 three-pointers, I think that's a, a good benchmark for them because um, they're probably going to get good looks. So, you know, if, if Tyson Etienne can get it going, Dexter Dennis, Eric Stevenson, guys like that, um, I think that's that's the key to the game is just outside shooting. And, you know, this team struggles to get to the free throw line. They struggle to get to the rim and finish very well. So, 
you know, it's a jump shooting team. And right now they're they're not a good jump shooting team. They're they're hot and cold. Um, but you know, Marshall and the coaching staff, they say, you know, this is a good shooting team in practice. Everything that they've seen, they think they're good shooters. But at the end of the day, you know, you are what you put on film. You are what the numbers say you are. And right now that's, you know, a bottom 55 team in the country in shooting. And uh, at some point it just has to it has to turn around. WSU has got to start making those open shots. And um, I think this is, you know, if they're going to make a stretch run here, I mean, now is the time that it has to click. It has to, you know, start happening like we saw at UCF and like we saw at home against Tulane. You know, they need to just start playing more like that and because um, they weren't really I – I mean, I go back and track, like, uh, how many good looks, like the percentage-wise, every single game. And, uh, you know, the last – I think four out of the last five games, it's been right at about 50%, about half of their looks – even a little bit more than that or really good looks. And it just comes down to how many of those really good looks do they make. And at UCF and at Tulane, you know, they're, they're making a lot of them. Against Cincinnati and USF, they're not making them. So, I mean, that's, that's honestly the difference when you go back and watch it. And it's, I know it sounds simple, but I think that's, that's the explanation. Play that offense where the ball goes in the basket. We, we want to do that. We want more of that in these <laughs> games and less of that other stuff. Let's go around. All three of us make a prediction. I just want to point out, producer Brian was the only one that was perfect on his predictions last week, picking the Cincinnati mm-hmm. win. Now, had, had he picked the Shockers, might have had a different outcome. Who knows? But what's your prediction for the score? I will go. I think WSU gets back on track. I think... Um, I think this is a game where I think this is going to be a good week for WSU. I think that that they're going to find something on offense. I think that um, you know the way they were moving against Cincinnati was encouraging, and I think if they just hit a slightly higher percentage, I think things are going to get back on track. So I think that will happen. I will go with Wichita State. I'll go seventy-four to. I know the Temple is going to play well. I'm going to go seventy-four sixty-eight. I think I'm going to expect the defense to be a little more locked down against Temple this time around, that they're going to pay a little more attention to detail because of the loss at Temple. So I'm going to go 78-62. Last game was 65-53, but if you remember, the Shockers actually played a pretty good first half. They had about a 10-point lead there for a while, and then that second half was another one of those throwaway the film days. So I I think the Shockers also see a little offensive resurgence. I will say 71-64 Shockers. Moving on, probably, if not the most important game left here in the conference schedule, one of two, and that's the game at SMU Sunday, which will be on ESPNU. SMU is 18 and 8 and currently 8 and 6 in the AAC. They are playing Memphis tonight and they're currently leading by 8 points with 6 minutes to go. So, this will be the only time the Shockers and the Mustangs get together this year down in Dallas. There's a Torchy's Tacos uh, right there on campus by the uh, arena you can go to. Great tacos. Thank me later. But what do you see when you look at the Mustangs? They, uh, I actually really, really like uh, SMU and the way they, uh, the way they play. I've always been a big fan of uh, Tim Jankovic's offense. Um, it's been kind of a, a strange year. I thought they would, uh, I thought they were going to be a, a big time contender uh, coming into conference play, and then they dropped a weird one early at East Carolina, and that kind of set them back. They lost at Temple in overtime as well, so. Um, they're coming in, you know, back-to-back road losses. They lost that two lane too, so they have a couple of head-scratching losses. But man, Kendrick Davis—he's one of my favorite players to watch. He is absolutely electric, uh, one of the best playmakers in the AAC. You know, when you listen to Greg Marshall talk about, you know, what WSU lacks and what they need, you know, Kendrick Davis is exactly that kind of player. He's able to create off the dribble. He's able to create for others. And then he's able to get to the rim and finish. And, you know, he's a flashy kind of player. And, you know, a transfer from TCU, that's that's really made a big difference for SMU. And, uh, you know, he's really jolted their offense. You know, they're a young team, a lot of sophomores and juniors. Um, I don't think they have a senior on their team. So, you know, they're going to be um, a team to watch going forward. And uh, I really like the way they play offense. But, you know, the, the defense – always a little questionable I think on Kempom they're like 15th on offense and like 250 or something like that on defense so um, that's that's where WSU has to to grind it out you know they have to rely on that top 10 defense 
and then hope they can just get enough on offense. So I think that's going to be one of those games where WSU is going to have to grind it out. I don't know if they can outscore SMU if that game gets in the high 70s or 80s. Um, you know, that's just not the type of game that WSU typically wins. They need that in the, you know, low 60s, maybe even high 50s mark. So we'll, we'll see about that one. I think tempo is going to be a big part of that game. Overall, SMU is Ken Palm ranked number 89. You mentioned Kendrick Davis. He averages 15.1 points per game. Tyson Jolly's right behind him at 14.8 points per game. So another player to watch out for the Mustangs. They average 75 points per game and allow 69.7. They shoot at 45.9% from the field. Here's my biggest key to the game. On the season, the Mustangs are plus 5.3 in rebounding margin. You usually don't see uh, larger numbers with that with a team that doesn't have a ton of size. So I think if the Shockers are able to take care of business on the glass. That'll certainly uh, at least help things with the game on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. And, you know, the more second chance opportunities WSU can get and limit, on the other turn, uh, limit SMU, I mean, that's going to be a big part of the game. It seems like those second chance points are a pretty good indicator if WSU has a good game or not. So, um, and another key is, you know, uh, three point shooting. You know, SMU opponents are shooting 35% against them from three. Um, you know, is that the, the the game where WSU shooters get on track on the road? You know, you have to think that, you know, SMU, not, you know, tremendous fan support. Um, Sunday afternoon game, you know, you can't, I, I can't imagine they're going to have, you know, anywhere close Lots to the Lots of soul. fans are going to come dressed as empty seats. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be probably the easier, the easier environment compared to, you know, a Thursday night game at Memphis. Um, especially, you know, that's their last home game of the year for Memphis. too. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a pretty charged up environment. That's going to be tough to win on the road. You got the weird blue court. So, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of stuff to overcome for, for WSU. But I think Sunday, that's the, that's the, the chance. That's the game that WSU needs. Um, I think if they get a road win, I think that kind of locks them into the tournament. Um, so, I mean, I know that these guys, it kind of goes from what I've been told. I mean, it just goes unspoken. You know, they know how important every one of these games are. You know, they're preparing like every game is a must win. So I think they're going to be locked in and, uh, it's a big, big time matchup. Yeah, SMU, as we as we mentioned, is playing Memphis tonight and currently up eight. They have Wichita State, but then they end the season at UCF and at USF. So you don't have a whole lot of confidence that they would lose those last two games. And so now every game in this conference seemed to be a toss-up these days. Tulane Anything has been coming up of late. But, you know, you need to take care of business. You need to get ahead of them in the standings because, the once again, the four seed, you're not going to play till Friday. If you're the five seed, you're playing, I believe, in the late game on on uh, Thursday, either the the second game or the late game on Thursday. So you just you you want to avoid that. Let's go around the room again and make a prediction. I actually have I have some fun facts for you on the AAC. I was looking at the the conference standings and the last place is the three way tie in the win column right now with four wins, and which is already more than any last place team has ever won in AAC history, which kind of shows how much better the the bottom has been. And then I think uh, Houston and Cincy and Tulsa, they all have four losses, right, right now? Yeah, and uh, that's the most um, most losses a conference champion has had. And I think there's a case where maybe you see five losses wins a share of it. So um, it's just been I, – th- I think it's the craziest season in AAC history, like you said. Any, anyone can beat anyone. What is that like? All ten years or all no, seven? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a seven year. You know that the craziest year. You know, I think uh, it's just been a wild and wild season, and uh, that's a credit to you know teams like Tulane and East Carolina and South Florida. Um, you know, those teams have, have you know snuck up and bit some opponents who have not been you know prepared, and it just goes to show you know every night in the AAC, there's no gimmies anymore. So. Um, I am interested to see if, you know, that two-lane race for last place, if Ron, Ron Hunter is going to have to walk on water or not. They are currently within two points of Tulsa with a minute and a half to go. You're getting live scoring updates on a podcast that you're going to listen to maybe <laughs> well two days from now. Over. So, Well, well after you could have checked the ESPN the app. We do. But let's do the prediction. All right. I think this is going to be a grinded-out game for WSU. SMU plays at a super slow tempo. So it's going to be a low-possession game. I think WSU is going to kind of muck it up, and it's going to be a grinded-out game. I think it's going to come down to the stretch, and I think you're finally going to see WSU win one of these close ones in the final two minutes. I'm going to go 65-63. 
I think I'm I'm going to agree. I think it's going to be a little more low scoring than SMU is used to. I think they're going to have to face a defense that's ready to, to go. Wichita State's shooting percentage has to come above, you know, 40% overall because I think that what we're seeing against teams like Cincinnati is when they miss, it, it sends a team off to the races, and that makes it hard to set up your defense. So shooting percentage has to come up, but I'm going to say Wichita State 68, SMU 63. Something has to go good for the Shockers here in a close game late. I think this is the time that it happens as well. I think they break 70, mm. 71, 68 Shockers. Now let's look at who the Shockers are close to in the standings and who they got left the rest of the way. And I want both of you maybe to give me a prediction on what do you think each team finishes. So Tulsa, as we've mentioned, is playing Tulane tonight, currently up two with a minute to go. They finish UCF at Temple at Wichita State. So out of those four games with one almost concluded, what would you say they finish? I'm going to go three and one. I think they lose at Wichita State and then win the, the other three. I'm going to say they go two and two and end up with six losses. SMU currently beating Memphis. Then they play Wichita State on Sunday at UCF and at USF. I'll jump in. I'll say they go two and two. I'm just I'm I'm all about the 500 teams right now. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna have to agree. I think two and two. Um, I think yeah. I think they they drop one on the road and then WSU at home. Memphis currently losing by nine at SMU. After this, they go at Tulane, Wichita State, and at Houston. Well, if they lose tonight, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two and two as well. Um, I think they beat WSU at home. I think that's the one that WSU drops, and then uh, they lose on the road at Houston the, the last day. I'm gonna say they go one and three. I think they. I think they're in a position right now where they were kind of bubbly, very much on the fringe. But I think you know they lose one more game, and I think there's the the motivation at least for the regular season is just gonna go away for them. It's gonna be all about. And finally, let's do Wichita State, Temple at SMU at Memphis, and home to Tulsa. Yeah, I'll go three and one. I think they they lose one of those on the road. I think it'll be at Memphis, but uh, I think three and one gets the job done for them for their NCAA tournament chances. Oh man, I just said this is tough because I I can't justify saying they're going to go four and zero, oh, but I just said Memphis. We is make a go lot of incorrect <laughs> predictions. I'm going to say podcast, four so and zero. Oh. There we go. It. That's what I'm going talking bold. about. I want some fire in the belly. We're going four and zero. We're going on a run. We're going to go through the conference tournament. Although we have some bad history in conference tournaments. I am not. I think they there, take care of is, Yeah, I'm not touching that one. All right, buy or sell time. Back to you, producer Brian. All right, so we saw in the offensive resurgence. We saw Noah Fernandez in the start. Fernandez. However, in the game against Cincinnati, he comes off the bench. He nails two threes, gets six points, but his minutes are significantly reduced. Wichita State, do they return to Fernandez as a starting guard for the remainder of the season? I will sell that. I think uh, they're going to keep Eric Stevenson in there, but I think you will continue to see Fernandes uh, play a role uh, similar to what he did at Cincinnati. And, um, yeah, two big threes early in that game. Um, you know, him and Trey Wade were the two best players that first half, and um, he didn't do much the second half, but I, I do think he's going to be uh, a key role for WSU, but I don't think he starts uh, from here on out. I think you're going to see – you know, a rotation of, you know, Stevenson, Etienne, people like that. I'll sell it as well. Now, we throw around the term play angry, you know, probably more than we should these days. But he's the one person that when he's out on the court, it looks like he's playing angry. He's diving on the field or on the floor. He's just like a little gnat all the time. He seems to really get his hand on loose balls. So I really like the way he plays. You brought up Trey Wade. Trey Wade breaks open near the basket more than any player I've ever seen. He always seems like he's there for a lob or a dunk or something. So you know, we've kind of gone away from him for a while. I'd like to see him go back to him. I know that had nothing to do with your question, but he said Trey Wade, but I'll also sell. All right. So we talked a lot about shooting percentages, how it's been up and down. The team seems to be very streaky. And sometimes at some point, the, the numbers are the numbers. So buy or sell, 
the percentages start to revert to the mean and we see those shooting percentages tick up over the last four games of the season. I'm going to buy that. You know, if you look at their last four games, Temple, SMU, Memphis, Tulsa, none of those really scare you from the defensive end. I, I still think, you know, Cincinnati shouldn't even be as bad of a matchup as it is currently for the Shockers. You know, they shot 26.9% from three in the game against Cincinnati. Just get that closer to 30 you know, even 29, and these games look drastically different. One thing I do want to give them credit on, their free throw shooting has really improved over those last couple weeks, which we said, over time, that should, you know, kind of revert back to the mean. Yeah, I'm going to, I think there's a slide uptick, but I don't think there's going to be a sizable one, so I'll sell that. I think, you know, with, you know, what is it now, 27 games, you know, you kind of, you are who you, who your numbers say you are, and I don't think that, you know, if if they, maybe they do have a game where they shoot, you know, high 40s or, or even above 40%, but I think that there's just no getting around that this team, you know, they're going to have a game where they shoot 35% or under and, you know, shoot, they still are capable of winning games like that. But I just don't think there's any way that they don't have at least one or two of those down the stretch, and that just brings down your numbers. So I don't think they're going to have any kind of noticeable um, uh, uptick in shooting. Dustin, do you have an update on it for the scores? Yes, from your Talk Angry scoreboard, Tulsa 61, Tulane 57, 12 seconds left. The uh, SMU-Memphis game has gotten closer, 54-48 with a minute 46 to go. Stay tuned. We'll have your updates here in the, after the buy or sell. <laughs> you can also just check your phone because you'll know. Or yeah. the paper. Do they still do that? No, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> oh, that was Rest low. in peace. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. You know, we talked about the Cincinnati game, Cumberland getting to the free throw line twenty two times in that home game. But I wanna look at Wichita State's home court advantage. It seems to me that they don't really seem to get that much home cooking or benefit of the doubt from the officials in their home games. So buy or sell do you feel like WSU gets doesn't get that sort of level of home cooking at home court that we see other teams get? Oh man, <laughs> I will, I will sell that. I don't think it's specific to like a, another team. I don't think like Cincinnati got home cooking. I think it's just that specific player. Uh, you know, just the way that Cumberland plays. I mean, home on the road. I mean, he's he draws fouls everywhere so um i don't have guys at the same time you see burton get slammed in the second half and not get any foul calls when he's going up for a shot yeah yeah i guess uh with that um i think the only thing you could say to him was that he he stopped his dribble and uh, he he did the pump fake and he got him in the air and he kind of leaned into him but the difference is you know cumberland never picks up his dribble he just goes straight into you and that's he forces the contact so but I agree I mean I thought that was a foul um so that that you know I don't know if they got a great whistle down the stretch but like I said you know you make your open shots that's not an issue so um I don't I haven't noticed that big of a difference I don't know Dustin what, what do you think I'm gonna buy it and I have an interesting theory you know I don't think we're getting the home cooking because our players are a little undersized. Like, I feel like, you know, for Etienne, for Burton, for our guards, and, and most of them are freshmen and sophomores, not only are they a little undersized, but they're not thick. You know, they don't have that thick body like a Cumberland does. You were already talking about it. You know, it's like, you know, a tight end or a wide receiver coming running at you Burton's in some like cases. Burton's like 6'4", like 205. I understand, but they're not, in, they're not initiating the contact with the same way, and it, it always makes it, you know, the little guy always seems like he's kind of bouncing off or something like that, and you just you, you kind of do it to the size. Now, here's another thing that several Shocker fans talked to me about this weekend. Why is Greg Marshall not getting more pissed off at these officials? <laughs> Seems like he used to go nuts all the time, and now he's just standing over there taking it with some definite questionable calls. So I'm not going to tell him how to do his thing, but still... I want to see I want to see a fiery Greg these last four games. I want someone to get pissed off. He may have high blood pressure. I'm pissed I off. Know. I want him to get pissed off. Didn't they have TV Teddy on the Sunday game? They did have TV Teddy. Yeah. Mm. Oh, on the on that Echenique charge block one, I saw uh, Ted. Uh, he was on the baseline, and if you watch the replay, he starts to do his little hop, which looks like he's about to go. You know, the charge motion. And then he deferred to the the referee that that saw it from the other side of the court, and he called it a block. So I thought that was a little interesting that, 
you know, two referees that looked like they were going to make different calls. You know, Valentine saw it on the backside, but he deferred to the, the referee that saw it uh, uh, from kind of a straight-on view. But um, that, that, that would have been a big, big call. Yeah, it kind of depends on which one's going to take the lead and jump in and say, this yeah. one's mine, as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, because sometimes you, you see them, yeah, they make that call and then they huddle up and kind of talk about it, and then they, they sometimes reverse that, that call after they talk about it and, and see who has the, the better view, but I don't I don't think they did that. I think he just trusted him, and um, yeah, that was, a, that was a big call, but I, th- I think Dustin had a good point. That's just, it has more to do with WSU's playing style, is that, you know, this is a jump-shooting team, uh, they don't go to the rim, and uh, we've talked about that before about how you know they they don't have like those savvy veteran moves yet where they they know how to use their body to create contact, and you see a lot of WSU shots get blocked at the rim, and I think that's just going to happen over time where they they kind of pick up those tricks and um, learn how to better use their body, better t- how to create contact and and draw those fouls because right now you know WSU does not really get to the foul line a lot, you know, in in these close games. All right, so the last one is going to be a combo question. So in their final two road games, Wichita State gets one of those wins, and they end up with a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. I'm going to sell that because they're getting both of those wins, all right? I'm not impressed with Memphis. They are about to lose to SMU. They were very bubbly as it is. They're going to get down, you know, I think Memphis fans have soured on these guys a little bit. They certainly have a target on their back all the way to the NIT. I think the Shockers win both. I'm going to sell that. Now on the 10 seed, yeah, that's probably what they're going to have. Yeah. I I think they will win one of two and be an 11 seed. So what is that? Am I buying that or am I selling that? Because I disagree with the 10 seed. You're both. I'm both. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's. I think that. I think that's they a buy split. sell. Uh, yeah, that's a buy sell. But but do you think? Okay, so they split them. But do they end up as a playing game if they're an 11 seed, or do you think they end up with? The, hey, would, they get a six seed. Personally, I would. I would. I think WSU's resume just begs them to be a first four team because you know they don't have that that marquee win. At least you know these bubble teams. They have uh, most of them have a, a win they can hang their hat on. And, you know, WSU, they just don't have that. So I think I would put them in Dayton and say, hey, prove, prove to me that you deserve to play, uh, you know, play in the, in the tournament. Um, but we'll see. You know, the bubble is, is pretty weak this year. And it's I always think, weak. It's the bubble. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, yeah, it just seems like it, it's just weaker than normal this year. And um, so I think that if they take care of business and, you know, if they go 3-1 and one down the stretch and make it to the conference tournament semifinals, I think that's good enough to avoid Dayton, but for me personally, I would put them there and, and make them, you know, prove that they they belong in the tournament because, you know, at some point you got to start winning these these big time games against you know uh, good opponents. And I think somebody pointed it out where I think they have one, or I don't think they have a win against a team uh, above them in the conference standings right now. I think they've yeah lost their 0 and five, and then like eight and one against the the bottom team. So at some point you have to beat a team ahead of you so um i'd also like to say something on that i'm tired of saying are they back when they beat tulane <laughs> or usf and then the second they lose to a team they should beat, we say oh no never mind they weren't <laughs> they're not back until they beat someone better than them or at least on the same par than them you can't you know say oh man we really killed it against tulane look how all those three pointers were going in everyone does that against tulane all right if you're going to be back beat someone that you consider your rival Beat SMU and Memphis on the road. That's going to be my sticking point for the rest of the season. <laughs> no, I mean you're not wrong. I think that's that's what WSU has to do if they if they want to prove that they're an NCAA tournament team. Then yeah, you got to go to Dallas and win. You got to go to Memphis and win. And you know that's those. You know Memphis is a tough place to go and, and win at, but you know it's been done before. And you know if WSU wants to be uh, an NCAA tournament team, at some point you have to prove it. And uh, yeah, picking up. Uh, Two road wins at the end of the season, ending 4-0 in the regular season. That's a good way to prove it. All right, we'll be back with you next week. Just two regular seasons to go by the time we talk to you next. We'll also get you ready that week after for the AAC tournament down in Fort Worth. Just bought my flight today. I'll be down there. My 11th consecutive conference tournament with the Shockers. Keep it rolling. So say hi when you, when you see Dustin. Yeah, say hi. And we'll have the great coverage coming for you through the rest of the year. Hopefully, 
breaking down an NCAA tournament bracket. Although Taylor wants to send him to the first four. Yeah. Let's remember but that as well. Where, where would you guys? You guys are always praising him. Oh, look how great Taylor is. Look where he's sending you. He's sending you to Dayton. I'm, all right. I got you as a 10 seed. This guy's trying to ship you out. Yep. Dayton would be interesting. It would be it would be fun. I've heard it's a good atmosphere, but yeah, that travel would be kind of brutal if they won. Yeah, they've done it before. It's it's rough travel, especially yeah. when they start throwing them in the early games for their if they were to win. Whoever wins it that would, has to be in early. It would games be oftentimes. really interesting because there's a lot of uh, Midwest regionals, and you know there's a, a possibility the WSU could be like a ten or eleven. And get sent to St. Louis or Omaha. St. Louis, and, yeah. You know, you have to think that's that's best case scenario for WSU. Let's You're get gonna... the gang back together. We're <laughs> going to the loo, boys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think that's that 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 part is promising for WSU that you have two of the eight sites uh, that would be. You know, you have to think they would basically be a home team in that that first game. So that is kind of the the carrot there. That's the the nugget that that could help them in the tournament. I think that. You know, when you look at you compare it to the other bubble teams, I do think WSU belongs in the NCAA tournament. I think that that just the body of work, not losing, basically not slipping up at home, not slipping up, you know, on a really really bad, <laughs> really bad uh, road game. So I think that's that's kind of what separates them. I think you know if you're the NCAA tournament, you want to put you want to reward teams like that. You don't want to you know uh, you know use Cincinnati as an example. You know they took three really bad losses. Um, you know, but they have, you know, way better wins or they have better wins than, than Wichita State as well. But I think taking bad losses like that, that should matter. And uh, for WSU to avoid that, I think that's a testament to their consistency. And um, yes, they're not playing their best. They're not anywhere close to where they where they were playing when they were 15 and one. But, you know, I think it's you got to look at the whole body of work. And I think when you do that, I think WSU is should be one of the at large teams in the field. When did WSU look their best this season? What game do you think they played their best? Honestly, Open it might have been that closing. Memphis game at home. You know, that was back when Memphis was top 25 and you thought they were going to be, you know, a really good, you know, conference title contender team. And the way that WSU came out and just, you know, obliterated them, they were up by 20, I think. And, you know, Memphis give them a lot of credit. They, they brought that back to within like six or seven down the stretch. But, you know, I thought WSU played lights out that game. Uh, they played lights out against Ole Miss, but you know now that's that's turned out to be now not a great. <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> Coach Coon working his magic, but um, yeah, I think it kind of peaked at that Memphis game because that was when they I think they were fourteen and one. You beat a top twenty-five team at home, and you know the UConn win should have been a continuation. You know, up nine with a minute twelve left Just or something close like that. that. Out, don't turn the ball over, make yeah. your free throws, right? And the Monstars came in. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think the yeah the moment the game that stands out to me was the the Memphis game. That's when I felt like they were, you know, okay, this team, yeah, you you believe that this team was gonna be, you know, possibility of being pretty special. But you know, we can see how quickly that that can turn in in today's college basketball landscape with a lot of stuff that's, you know, gone on off the court and you know egos and and chemistry. And what I've been told is that this team. You know, they they really do like love each other. I think that's not an issue. Where ELE, yeah, I mean they 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 really do care, and I think I don't think that's an issue. I think it's really just an issue of, you know, some of these young kids. You know, they they've been the guy, you know, growing up their whole life, and you know they have aspirations of playing in the NBA, and you know they think that hey, it's that's that's hard to do when I'm only playing 20 minutes or coming off the bench or you know only averaging eight points. But, you know, that's kind of the internal battle that's going on right now is Marshall trying to convince these guys, hey, put all of that aside, just care about us winning. You know, winning solves everything. Winning is what got Fred Van Vliet to the NBA. Winning is what got Ron Baker to the NBA. It wasn't because they were putting up, you know, crazy high stats. You know, I don't think Fred ever averaged more than, I think, 14 points. And it wasn't like Ron was, you know, averaging anything crazy either. Um, You know, they both got there because they – they bought into that that system, uh, the teamwork. They won big games, and they you know they were out there playing their best in the biggest moments. And I think that's the thing that you know these guys are so young; they're 19, 20 year olds, and that's hard to kind of wrap your mind around when this is your first year playing college basketball. So I think that's that's kind of the battle that's going on right now, and I think that might be more important than the X's and O's part is just if WSU can keep that togetherness and, and, you know, put the team 
first, that might matter more, honestly, than than what's going on, you know, X's and O's wise. It's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Tell your friends about us. Be sure to listen to us the rest of the way. We got our first supporters on Patreon, so remember yep, you can support the Tyler podcast. Shout out Tyler Cleary. Shout out Tyler Cleary. Thanks so much, dude. Appreciate it. Thanks, dude. Uh, also, remember... Gotta rate us five stars. <laughs>